Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna, and me, Frederick. In this week's episode, I sit down with the guys from Beam to dive deeper into the Mimblewimble protocol to discuss the Beam implementation and look at how this protocol might be used in the future. Before we start, we want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Streamer. Streamer has just launched their global PubSub network for machine data. And so if you are a Web3 systems architect looking for a trustless real-time messaging solution, this will be something for you. Unlike a cloud-based data pipeline, the Streamer network runs peer-to-peer in a system that offers a smart balance between high privacy and low latency, as well as MQTT support. They are currently looking for individuals and projects to join the network and jump in on this important and exciting research. If you want to start using it today, just visit streamer.network. There you can find additional material about what drove their design choices, as well as metrics and measurements about their network. For more on the Streamer offering, have a listen to an episode we did last year with one of Streamer's co-founders, Henry. So thanks again, Streamer, for supporting this podcast. And now here's our interview with the guys from Beam. So today I'm sitting with Alex and Alexander from Beam. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. This is not the first time that we have two Alexes on on our show. I think with Matter Labs, we had Alex and Alex as well. Um, Alexander, do you want to just say what you do at Beam? Sure. So I'm the CEO of Beam. Uh, my job is mostly talking and trying to make sure that I'm not getting too much in the way of people doing the actual work here. Very good. And Alex? I'm the CTO of Beam, and my job is actually making sure that the people that are actually doing things are doing that uninterrupted. So, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> the general? Kind of. <laughs> All right. So this is the second episode that we're doing where we dig kind of into the topic of Mimblewimble. We've done an episode with Daniel from Grin, uh, and we talked about the way that Grin implemented Mimblewimble. But I think it's really cool that we get a chance to speak to you guys who are implementing it independently, and yet there's a lot of connection between these two groups and kind of back and forth and sharing of ideas and stuff like that. So I'd like to explore that in today's episode. Um, but before we start in on Beam, I think even though we've covered roughly what Mimblewimble is in that episode, I want to kind of go over some of it again with you guys. But actually, the first question I have is sort of like, what, what got you excited about Mimblewimble specifically? And maybe when did you find out about it? Sure. We found out about Mimblewimble more or less like about half a year a year after it was uh you know it, it become became like popular and used uh maybe some of the team learned about it on day one and i think what's exciting about it is that it solves privacy right from the get-go and it gives privacy without uh the scalability trade-offs that all other protocols that you know, offered privacy on blockchain have. Are you thinking like Monero yeah, and Zcash? Monero and Zcash, definitely. Okay. Yes, yes. Because those protocols, and I'm talking very much in layman's terms, but they took the basic architecture of Bitcoin and added stuff 
onto it to to hide the information. So what's beautiful about Mimblewimble is that it's built in such a way that there is, I could almost say nothing to hide because there's no information on the blockchain itself. So it's, it's built in a different way. So there are trade-offs to achieve that. The protocol has to have some interactivity between the two wallets uh, in order to create a transaction. But the way it's built is actually, it presents a new look on how the blockchain can work. Mm. And it really solved for both privacy and scalability uh, in the same one. And it's very elegant. It uses standard cryptography uh, that is really well understood. Uh, so there is much less chance there to be like a terrible catastrophic bug than in something that's very new. Hmm. What about yourself? Yeah, so um, uh, the Mimblewimble paper was published in uh, June, I think, or July 2016. And uh, it immediately attracted a lot of attention because, as Alexander mentioned, it provided a very elegant and simple solution to this very non-trivial problem of combining confidentiality on blockchain with scalability. And um, uh, the idea is behind the protocol was basically to structure the UTXO model in a way that would allow for this cutoff feature that we'll, we will probably discuss uh, again several times and thus uh, eliminate the need to store every single transaction, every single UTXO on chain. And basically it means that the blockchain now scales as a function of the UTXOs and not as a function of transactions, which is the major problem that uh, does not allow the same scalability in Bitcoin, for example, because in Bitcoin you have to store all the transactions on chain, which makes the blockchain eventually much larger. So uh, right from the start, it got attention from both enthusiasts of the privacy field and uh, well-known cryptographers. And uh, Andrew Poelstra was one of the first who has researched the protocol and published a separate paper about it, uh, basically doing a deeper and research and eventually proving that it could be uh, a good model to, to, to build. And um, uh, almost immediately, like I think a few months after the initial publication in November 2016, Green started working on the, their implementation of the protocol. So uh, it was when we got to, to start, we, when we started working on it in March 2018, it was an already an existing buzz. There was a lot of interest from uh, both technical and uh, crypto privacy enthusiast communities. Uh, and it was, I think at that time, one of the more like promising and developments in this field. And uh, so we were interested for qu quite a while before we started the actual implementation. But at some point, we realized that we, we do want to make our, our own, own implementation of this protocol. So basically, we have assembled the team in, in March 2018 and started working on it. And uh, nine or 10 months later, we launched our mainnet, which was on January 3rd uh, this year, 2018, which was the 10th anniversary of the Bitcoin, uh, the first Bitcoin block. Um, Mm. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting cool. date. Yeah, very symbolic. Mm. Uh, so uh, we did this very quickly um, by assembling professional team of developers, most of whom I knew personally and worked before previously on different projects. Uh, many of them are my uh, personal friends. So I basically uh, went to the top of, uh, you know, top of the line of all the people that I knew from all my previous years of developing different kinds of software. And uh, that's what allowed us to launch it fairly quickly. Cool. Is uh, Were you working in blockchain technologies before this, or was this the first? No, I was not. And actually, none of our team had any previous experience with any blockchain projects. Uh, even more so, the first 
uh, cryptocurrency I have ever actually uh, owned was BIM. So I, I didn't even have a Bitcoin before that. What did you have to do differently? Like, how do you th- have to think differently when you're working in this space? Well, it's a completely, it was a completely new technological field for us. So we had to do a lot of learning uh, very quickly. Uh, luckily, our uh, developers are very talented and uh, most of them have either mathematical or physical uh, physics background. So they could understand both the math behind this and and also the implementation details. Of course, when dealing with cryptography, there are a lot of nuances uh, that you do not have with the regular software. And of course, in blockchain, it's a completely different animal in terms of how all this uh, ecosystem is being deployed and updated and uh, how you actually test it. So we had to overcome a lot of challenges and learn very quickly how to deal with this. aspects of that were completely new to us. And uh, I think we, we managed to do this rather well. Um, uh, we did everything by ourselves. So we didn't, it, it was not a fork, it was not a clone. Uh, outside of the most basic libraries, we didn't take one line of code from any other project. Uh, so we built everything from scratch and uh, uh, it, it gave us a lot of uh, experience and understanding of the really deep inner workings of uh, the essential components such as node logic and wallet logic. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it allowed us to control a lot of aspects of this implementation. And uh, I think the result uh, is very good. Um, We have right now like a very stable and uh, well-functioning software. We had a hard fork recently, which also went uh, very well. So I I think it was mostly a success story in terms of the implementation. Yeah, and what about you, Alexander? Have you worked in blockchain? So uh, I haven't worked in blockchain either. So it's I, I got interested in blockchain several years uh, ago, and I you know did play with Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like this, but not in a very heavy way. And to me, it's also the first project in blockchain. So I think what we have on the team is like a healthy combination because some members of the team or some of our advisors are very like old, very much old timers and know the space very well. Uh, on the other hand, part of the team is relatively new in blockchain. Well, now we're also kind of old timers, mm. Alex and myself, we could say, uh, <laughs> because a year is a lot of time. But there's a healthy combination of people with experience in the space and people with experience elsewhere. So answering to your question, no, it, it, I didn't have much you know, work experience in blockchain before But that. there was something about this that made you go, you know what? Now I'm going to jump in. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> what was that? There was the potential of the field because the stream of replacing the monetary system, uh, it's a huge dream. And right now our whole industry is tiny compared to the financial system in general. And thus the potential is just mind-blowing. I don't think there is, right now, there is any like technology field that has such a potential to grow like, Mm. Hundreds of times. So you have a live network. Um, what was launching that like? <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> that was stressful and funny. And I remember the day January th- the third. We were sitting in our office, like in another tower, uh, right here uh, in Tel Aviv. I mean, myself and other guys were spread out. Uh, the world where they are, they were, and I remember it took us some. It took us like about took us about half an hour to launch because the website got so much load that you know it took us time to publish the binaries. And there was one more thing Be- before we launched. We were kind of we we had to set the network difficulty, right? Because you have to set 
the difficulty to some figure so that it kind of makes sense. And we were kind of debating internally, like, okay, how many GPUs are going to minus? Maybe 3,000, maybe 4,000. So we set it initially at roughly at around 10,000 GPUs, I think. And we thought, well, there's no way. And it was like 100,000 like, when we launched. So it was like, it was a surprise. Because you actually, this launched before Grin launched. Yes, this was the first Mimblewimble project to launch. Okay. Yes, Grin followed up on January the 15th, the, yeah. yeah, in two weeks. Wow, and so you got that, and that was like right during the moment that there was like a lot of eyes on this project. Yeah. Was, yeah. did anything break? <laughs> uh, not immediately, no, not immediately, but we did have... Um, two issues in that January. One was some hole in the wallet that we found and patched immediately. And another one was a pretty uh, stressful event. It was a blockchain stop. The blockchain oh, wow. stop. There was a certain condition of two UTXOs that were sent from uh, two wallets with the same seed that somehow created the stop. Uh, but and, and that was like the second event. Uh, and we were already kind of better prepared to it and we were communicating like every half hour so so we fixed it in like three or three to four hours okay but it was still uh, was it a was moment. a stressful event event mm. since then i don't think we had any issues and i hope we won't although you know it's software so you never know mm. so i kind of want to ask you a few more questions about the tech c taking from what you just described before you mentioned something called a cut through function i actually don't know what a cut through function is okay so uh, the whole idea behind Mimblewimble is to uh, get rid of the Bitcoin script, which is the way the transactions are actually created in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, it's sort of a condition. Uh, you should give this UTXO to whoever knows the secret of specific address. So Mimblewimble structures UTXO differently uh, by using this cryptographic primitive called the Pedersen commitment. It basically allows you to take several UTXOs and combine them together. So basically, in any transaction, like in Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, you have inputs and outputs, the coins you spend and the new coins that you create. The difference is that when you combine a lot of inputs and a lot of outputs together, so basically merge several transactions, you can eliminate all the intermediate UTXOs. The ones that you spent already are no longer relevant. Let me give you an example. Let's say I send you a transaction with some UTXO and then you send it to somebody else, the same UTXO exactly. So if we just add together all these factors, you see that inter in the intermediate it falls out because it's like plus the input or minus the output. And this allows you to basically ignore all the intermediate information. And the only thing you're interested in is where this UTXO came from mm -hmm. originally. And they all come from the blocks that mine them, so-called Coinbase reward. And then you are interested in who is the owner of this specific UTXO in this specific moment. And this is the only information that you actually need to store on the blockchain. And if you take this logic and you expand it to the entire blockchain, so basically all you get is these headers of the blocks, which prove two things. First of all, that the exact amount of UTXOs was created for each block, the mining reward. And the tree that it's called the Merkle tree, this data structure that holds all the UTXOs that are currently unspent. And this is the only information that you as a new node in the system need to download to start working and verifying it. Mm. So the cut through is actually this process of compacting this blockchain and removing all these intermediate UTXOs that are no longer relevant. 
Is that is that something that's just in standard Bitcoin, or is this something that's really novel to Mimblewimble? This is exactly the novelty of Mimblewimble. This oh, is wow. exactly the uh, elegant trick that it, it has this trade-off of uh, having to give up on Bitcoin script. The Bitcoin script today allows for a lot of different interesting operations that you can do on the blockchain, and you kind of have to give it up in order to get this elegant structure that you can uh, then compress. Uh, however, there are different ways to achieve the same uh, concepts and ideas that are currently implemented in uh, Bitcoin script today and uh, in uh, Ethereum smart contracts, for example. It's called scriptless script. It's kind of an extension on this entire concept, but uh, it's probably for another question. <laughs> so, uh, so maybe to say the same in more uh, layman's terms. Uh, so the, the blockchain only holds the currently existing coins, UTXOs, um, and, and the ownership structure, right? Mm -hmm. So it just lists whatever coins are in existence right now. Uh, and uh, it also lists all the coins that were ever minted. And it proves that the transition from the, from the minted coins to the current state was correct. And the thing that proves this, proves that is actually the kernels. So for each transaction, there is a small thing that remains on the blockchain, and it's the transaction kernel. Mm. It's a very small data structure that actually contains, a, uh, it is signed by both parties, and it contains a proof that the amount of inputs in that particular transaction equaled the amount of outputs. So no new money was published. And also it, it has a proof, well, actually, and in, in the UTXOs have a proof that their values are positive. So... Uh, so the only thing that remains per transaction is a kernel. Hmm. And it's very small. It's about 100, 112 bytes. So that's why the blockchain size, while it does grow a little bit with the number of transactions, but the most growth is with the number of the UTXOs, which does not even have to grow. Because if I take, uh, if I want to pay you 100 beam and I have 100 coins of one beam, then actually the number of UTXOs in the system will become smaller after I do this transaction. It doesn't even have to grow. Hmm. So now I have a I, I have a question. Like Beam is one implementation of Mimblewimble and Grin is a different one. Do you use the same like proof of work function? No. no. Yeah we, we both use uh, we, we both use proof of work as consensus mechanisms. But mechanism, but the algorithms are different. I see. Which what what do you use? So we're using something we call Beam Hash, uh, which is actually a variant of Equihash. So we had Beam Hash one uh, before the fork, and now we have Beam Hash two. Uh, so it is basically modified Equihash. Mm. While Grin is using uh, something that they developed on their own. It was developed by John Tromp. Uh, very interesting technology called uh, Cuckoo Cycle with several variants. Again, I guess uh, the green guys can be can, can relate to that much, much better. Uh, so, so they're not compatible. Those are different algorithms. And ours is, I mean, it's not simpler, but it doesn't have that much innovation. Mm. So we took the existing Equihash, modified it a little bit, and make it work for us, while Grin developed their own very elaborate system with two or even more different algorithm that, algorithms that actually... Uh, the percentage of blocks mined with each one is changing, so mm -hmm. it's it's much more innovation there. Okay, I kind of want to like. I think one of the things because we just recently had Grin on, I'd love to hear if there's anything, any other sort of pieces of the build that are very, like significantly different. 
or the implementation? Uh, so I think there are a lot of things that are different. So the monetary policy is different, right? This is something that is very, uh, very much uh, observable and, and, and relevant for, for everyone, right? So Grin is inflationary. Uh, they will be minting 60 Grin per minute or one Grin per second forever. While Beam follows an um, an emission curve very similar to Bitcoin, mm-hmm. so it means like later miners will get less. Yes, the early miners, yes, yes, there yes, is yes. a benefit to being. So, so the first fast. year is a hundred coins per block, and the second to f- uh, fifth year is fifty coins per block, and then halving every four years until year one hundred and thirty three. So that's one difference. Another difference is the funding mechanism. Uh, so we uh, use something that's called Founders Reward. Oh, you do have Founders Reward. Yeah, we do have Founders Reward. Interesting. Very much so. So in the first five years of operation, 20% of all the mined coins go to the treasury. Yeah. And this treasury is distributed between the venture investors who put in the money that actually lets us develop and uh, um, operate, mm-hmm. uh, between the core team and advisors. And a large chunk is set uh, away for uh, a nonprofit foundation that we're now in the process of setting up. And that, I guess, would have some sort of board that makes decisions yes. about funding. Yes, the foundation, it, it will start with a board and all the decisions will be made by the board. But eventually, we're already looking at ways to make it like a decentralized, like a DAO. Wow. Uh, it will take time. So yeah. initially, it will operate... Uh, it will be operated by mm. the board in a you know in a consensus method, but still kind of central. Have you been like given that you also have a founders reward? Have you been following the Zcash founder reward conversation closely? Yes, uh, yes, we have. We what, have followed. I it. mean, it, like it's interesting because that that question of like how a project funds itself. Like personally, I find it more and more interesting, and I catch myself asking that to understand better what the plan is going forward. And I think in some cases, the plan has been, um, we will pay our early developers in token, they will make a lot of money with that. And that is a motivation that works to a level. Um, But then there's also a conversation of how do you continue with maintenance? How do you continue development? After, especially after like those early contributors who maybe have made a lot of you know, have have done very well for themselves, they either no longer want to work or maybe they're not as into it or they're doing something else. How do you then incentivize this new group of people who are arriving? Because you can't necessarily promise the price will always go up forever. Yeah, so, so uh, this, is a, this is a challenge. This yeah. is a challenge. Uh, but we are starting it to, to address it early. So the foundation will solicit uh, and will pay for uh, development done by third parties. But by the way, in the beginning, it, a lot of it will still be done by the company. Yeah. Right? Because it takes time to build this community. But the foundation will bring in more people and incentivize them with with payment with the goal of having, you know, after five, six, seven years, having this global community that already continues itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So the original contributors will... Hopefully, it'd be still out there and still interested in 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 the well-being of the of the protocol. Uh, but our goal is to make their contribution smaller, our contribution smaller mm. in you know percentage-wise with time. Also, uh, the 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 more we move forward, there will be less need for very fast innovation, mm. right? So it will be the the speed of development will be much more relaxed. Do you feel like was there any pushback for having a founder's reward? 
well, especially in the beginning when we kind of published this whole uh, idea and when it, when it became public, we got a lot of heat from, you know, all kinds of maximalists and, and just people who are bored and they said, you are scammers and you are, it's not fair and you're stealing and you're, but right now, when we actually demonstrated that we're developing and, and delivering quality stuff that's working, then a lot of people, uh, and, and we're also doing it quickly and high quality and very usable. Uh, then some, I think more people understand that there's nothing wrong uh, with uh, you know, people getting paid for their work and also getting some upside if their work is something really great. As, in my view, that's, like, that's how the world works, right? Any startup is built in, such a, in that fashion, right? Now, the important thing is to be upfront and, and to tell everything to everyone, right? Not, not to hide anything, which we never did and are not going to do. Mm. Uh, so I think right now there is much more... Uh, acceptance of this model. Although, of course, green model is totally different and it also has its advantages, right? Mm -hmm. They're not dependent on anyone at all. They're not dependent on money. Uh, so they can develop uh, forever. So it's, um, I think both models have their good sides mm. now, but what, what we can see with Beam and Grin very specifically that our model allows for much faster and feature and, and more feature-rich development and creating software, more software, faster. Is that just because you have a bigger pool? Like a big, you have a bigger pool of funding? Uh, well, I don't think it's 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 about the size of the team and the time everybody spends. Yeah. On on you know we have a full time team of about twenty four people, most of whom are developers, so. And that's their job, right? And they're yeah. part of the team, part of the family, but they're not working on anything else. While most of the people who work on Grin and other open source projects have to, you know, find time for, for, for their passion. Now, mm -hmm. again, the positive thing is that they're like really super passionate about what they're doing because they're doing that just as an extra, most of them. Uh, our, our guys are also very passionate. Again, this is their, and for us as well, it's like what we do. We yeah. get up and we work on this project and then we... Cool. Continue. What about, I want to pass it back to you, uh, Alex, what, what other technical differences that you, that could you say exist between Beam and Grin? Uh, well, quite a lot. Uh, outside of the fact that we are both using Mimblewimble as the underlying protocol, I think that, that there are more differences than, than commonalities. Um, different programming language. We are using C++ and Green is using Rust. Uh, Rust is kind of an evolution of C++, more modern and uh, more popular, getting more popular every day. Yeah, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Frederick is a fan. <laughs> there are a lot of fans and I completely understand why. However, when we started impl our implementation, we needed to find people uh, fast. And uh, obviously, there are still more experienced C++ developers out there, so it was easier for us. Um, we have... Uh, uh, a lot of differences in terms of how we exactly we implemented this protocol, how it works, how the communication between the wallets work in order to create a transaction. So, for example, we have created our SBBS system, which is a secure bulletin board that allows you to exchange encrypted messages between the wallets. Mm. And thus, you make it very easy for two wallets to connect and uh, create a transaction. Uh, I think it's a great addition to our usability, which is one of the core aspects that we are really, really focusing on because... One of the problems that we see in this space is that a lot of technology is not really accessible 
to like uh, non-geek or non-technical people. Uh, we want to improve on that as much as we can. So, which is why we have invested a lot of time and effort and product, uh, you know, thinking about the usability to make it as usable as possible. So that's quite another difference. When you say usability in this case, though, do you mean usability for devs or do you mean usability for end users? No, I mean usability for end users. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like at the wallet level. First of, first and foremost at the wallet level, yes. Okay. Uh, we have developed uh, wallets for all existing platforms. So our desktop wallets, they run on Linux, Mac, and Windows. Mm. And we also have two different mobile wallets for Android and iOS. So it's uh, very convenient to use Beam from any device that you might have, hmm. which is very important for us. But also, you know, thinking about how the wallet looks like, how easy it is to operate, uh, how we try to hide some of the technical details behind, you know, easy to use structures and features. So it, it's quite a lot of work because UI and UX is always very time consuming. So that's yet another difference. We have also had uh, some additional, you know, differences on the protocol level, the way we use uh, Dandelion, which is the transport protocol that sends transactions and uh, between the nodes. In general, in Bitcoin, for example, whenever a node receives a new transaction, it just immediately broadcasts it to all the peers that he knows. Oh, yeah. And uh, this might allow for some uh, very interesting timing attacks. When you're monitoring large amount of the network, you can try to figure out which was the node that originated that transaction. So then the line uh, is a concept proposed by a group of researchers led by Julia Fanti. And uh, the idea is that you first send this transaction through a series of nodes and only then you fluff it. It's, so, it's it, almost like a mixer uh, for it's messages. It's not exactly <laughs> a, a mixer in a, in a regular sense, but what it allows to do is to obscure yeah. and make the reconstruction of the transaction graph much more difficult. Uh, it's similar to Tor in some way. So the, the transaction is not immediately broadcast, but it goes through a series of nodes and only one of them just sends it out to the wild. So it's very hard to trace the origin. Now, in addition to that, uh, every node actually merges all the transactions that are coming to it to make it like look like one big transaction. And if there is not enough transactions coming to it, it just add, in our case, this is also different from Grin, we add what we call decoy outputs. So as the transaction is traveling on this stem of this dandelion flower, it gets bigger, so it's it makes it hard to, to detect the original address or the, the source IP address, but also it kind of makes it much bigger with adding decoy outputs or other outputs, so it becomes uh, harder to trace. Kind of as you describe um, a lot of these features, all of it is towards more privacy. Do you see Beam and Mimblewimble in general as just being purely privacy-driven, or is there other benefits that come from this protocol? I would say this protocol brings in privacy and scalability together. I see. Okay, so it's a very healthy combination of privacy and scalability, although we're working to further improve both of them. So we've just recently announced uh, our work on a protocol called Lilantis. That's a very new protocol developed by a cryptographer named Aram Jivanyan. Yeah, who's from Who's working Z-Coin. with Zcoin, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we got fascinated with uh, with this technology and we actually adapted it and published how it can be adapted to Mimblewimble and we're looking to implement it to further improve mm. privacy and we're also looking for ways to, inc to improve the scalability as well. 
So, uh, so, so again, Mimblewimble is both privacy and scalability. And at Beam, we are trying to push the envelope, you know, even further. I want to ask sort of one more question on, uh, on Grin. Because and I and I the reason I think that there is a lot of I mean in this episode we've talked a lot about Grin I think it's because at least from where I was sitting over in Berlin Grin somehow was like more visible early on um, and so I wonder how do you still do you work a lot with Grin do you work together did you work together early on like I'm just curious about what the relationship is between the two groups. So I think we have established a very good healthy working relationship. It's not that we are, you know, developing in parallel uh, or working together on a specific project, but we do have several groups and several discussion groups that are both, part of them are public, part of them are like in Telegram. We are, we are sharing uh, ideas and asking questions. Uh, and uh, it's been working very well, at least for us and hopefully for them. You know, in, in some cases where there is some... Uh, some issue with a protocol or something we need to discuss then it it's because arguably those are only the all the, the two best teams in the world that understand Mimo Wimble yeah right so so we share uh, we share a lot of information we share some future ideas uh, and I think overall we've built a, a very good uh, and healthy relationship with but, with grin yeah, so of really course cool. there is a certain competition because we are you know two coins on the same protocol uh, but uh, it's not a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. um, and we think there is space for two or maybe even more currencies, but right now there are two major implementations, and we, we find it very beneficial, you know, the, the, the opportunity to talk to, and the, the guys there, most of them are brilliant developers, so it's, it's really a pleasure, and it's very yeah. useful, and it's good for all sides. Do, what, would you, what would a fork even look like in something like Memblewimble? A fork? You mean uh, like a blockchain fork? Yeah, when, like uh, a f- like a hard fork. But like, say say somebody or say somebody wanted to fork one of these projects. So there are two two senses, right? So one, like when you say fork, you can mean that somebody takes the source code and creates a new project. Yeah. Right. So this this has already happened. There are I think about ten different forks. Most of them grins forks, but also a couple of beam forks. Like there is uh, Bitgrin, which is Grin with Captain Mission. There is Grim, uh, which is a Beam fork, and uh, and there are a bunch of others. Um, so and, and hopefully there will be more because again, this is this tells us that you know there's something interesting in this protocol. But none of them has reached you know the the stage that Beam uh, or Grin are at. You know they're not that significant yet. I see. Uh, so and and this can be done like anyone can do that. It's all yeah. open source, obviously. So it's not different from any other protocol. And that's a Genesis fork. So you start from scratch. Yes. Yes. So you just start. From, you you take the code and start a new project. Now, if mm. if we're talking about a hard fork. Uh, that's something different. That's when you release a new piece of software that breaks the consensus. And then you want all the community to adopt this new software because if they don't, then the network splits. Mm. Now, both Grin and, and Beam have done that exactly this summer. A, uh, a hard fork. Yeah, they did their own uh, in July, I think, and we did ours in August. Uh, in both cases, it was the change of the mining algorithm that was the, the most important, and I guess some other stuff. And uh, so, uh, and it it went well because those both of those forks were not 
contentious forks, yeah. right? They didn't hurt anyone. But uh, we know that in some cases in history, you know, some forks, if some people don't like it, then the network split. So we were lucky and, you know, everyone we know or we see converted to the new version. What is the miner community like in Beam? Well, uh, in my view, miners are very professional people who calculate meticulously um, and just mine coins that make sense to mine. Although there is someone sometimes sentiment uh, towards a specific coin, so we know that some of the miners are not just mining and selling immediately, but also holding. Uh, Alex, maybe you, you can correct me, but I don't think our miners are different from uh. other miners. Uh, they might be different because a little bit because uh, we are a GPU mineable coin, right? Oh, it's not not ASIC, so it's kind of probably different scale of companies. So our our miners are a little bit smaller. There is mu there is much more uh, pools and much more people who are mining at home through a pool. Uh, so it's a little bit more democratic. Hmm. Uh, but in that respect, it's probably similar to any GPU mineable coin. Got it. It's funny, I don't think we've ever done like a full episode just on miners. might be something worth doing. Yeah, so mining is an exciting topic, uh, which is very rich with a lot of uh, details and nuances. And uh, these people are highly technical, uh, both in hardware and software. And uh, uh, as uh, Alexander said, uh, it's all about calculating, you know, the profits and the margins and uh, the capex and the opex and all, all the other parameters. Uh, uh, of course, the electricity cost. And I know that uh, some of our miners, they are dedicated beam miners, but a very large part of them are mining uh, Ethereum or uh, like different coins as well that are GPU mineable and uh, switch whenever it's profitable. Uh, so far, beam has been, I think, pretty profitable to, to mine, according to the mining uh, sites that calculate all these, uh, uh, you know, yeah. re rewards. So, yeah, uh, we have a very steady and uh, rising uh, hash rate. Uh, during the last uh, hard fork in, in, in August, we have improved the mining algorithm that we're using and made it more efficient by about 25 to 30%. So uh, it means that you can mine more, more blocks and have higher hash rate with the same equipment. Um, so it was also a very good improvement. Do you also have the, like, are you worried about or do you want to encourage ASIC use? Can, can, can there be ASICs for Beam? Yeah, so theoretically, yes. However, we have uh, from the beginning announced that we're going to do two scheduled hard forks to avoid the ASICs. Oh, you, oh, you want to avoid them in this case? For, yes. So basically two hard forks, it means that at least for a year and a half, it would not be uh, economically profitable to create an ASIC. But after that, um, the foundation uh, will determine whether it goes, you know, uh, and, and where, this, where this goes. Uh, the current algorithm we're using, EquiHash, it's very memory intensive. It requires a lot of memory. So it's not very simple and cheap to create an ASIC to, to mine that. But uh, I think it mostly depends on the success of the coin, because if Beam is hugely successful, I think eventually it might become really uh, profitable and mm. for, for to create a dedicated ASIC for it. But as I know, currently there are no such efforts, but it might change in the future. Mm. Yeah, so the, the idea behind the two forks was to make it, uh, to, to signal ASIC's developers that it's not worth to even start working because it usually takes like about six months to develop an ASIC and if the, the thing changes, it kind yeah, of becomes obs obsolete. Up. So mm. after the second hard fork, you know, but then 
if it makes economic sense, then developers will start working on that. Is there any sort of, I don't even know if this is possible, but could you have anything like Lightning or any off-chain connection with Mimblewimble, or is that crazy? <laughs> I'm getting an eye roll from you. Excellent question. Co coincidentally, uh, during the last fork, we have introduced uh, the relative time locks, which is the mechanism that allows exactly that to create uh, payment channels which are an essential building block for Lightning Network. So first of all, you can create a channel between the two wallets, lock some coins, and then have instant transactions off-chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as, as a next step, you basically add routing, which allows you to pay someone, even if you don't have a direct channel to this person, just by going through a several hops of uh, large enough funded channels. So yes, basically, uh, we uh, have created a demo, which was, I think, released today on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Actually, today, September 18th, we have uh, aired a YouTube video that is demonstrating the use of um, the Lightning Networks, kind of Lightning Network uh, payment channels between the wallets. We call it the laser beam. Nice. It's very cool. It's very interesting technology, very complicated, and uh, we're very proud of it. So the demo is currently only in command line wallet, but uh, we're thinking about incorporating it into our product line of uh, uh, desktop and mobile wallets as well. But the only the only kind of thing with Lightning specifically is like if you're doing that, you kind of do lose the privacy. Like you're going, or can you can you make Lightning in this case? Yeah, not not at all. Like all the transactions are still completely private because when eventually they're settled on chain after you have like a series of uh, back and forth between the two wallets, it follows the same Bimblewimble protocol and it basically just uh, creates new TXOs according to the last settlement, which is completely private. Oh, I see. Okay. In that case, would, I mean, so what it makes me think of though is like one of these protocols like Bolt. Would you need to use Bolt in that case? So I, I'm not really deeply familiar with, with Bolt, but one of the key differences between Beam and for example, Bitcoin in, in this sense of adding lightning. In our case, it's not a second layer solution. It's a first layer. It's inside the node. Oh, wow. So you don't, yeah. So one, one of the reasons a lot of things work as they do in Bitcoin is because it tries to build on top of the existing infrastructure while we can still change the infrastructure and make it work from, from inside. So it has a lot of benefits Okay. this way. Yeah, you don't have to go through a large series mm. of compromises. Then, but then the other question is: Is there a way for other chains to do it, like to interoperate with Mimblewimble? Like, could you have something outside interacting inside? Well, yet another excellent question here. So, yeah, there are a lot of ways. First of all, uh, it's the atomic swap, which basically we have launched uh, in the command line. I think it was like July, yeah. And uh, now we're working hard on building it into our desktop and mobile wallets which allows you to have a completely trustless swap without any centralized authority, like you don't need an exchange huh. to trade, let's say, Bitcoin or Litecoin for Beam uh, in a way that uh, none of the parties can cheat the other one. How do you deal with price, though, like price oracles and like figuring out what the value is on each side? We have added something that we called uh, an atomic swap offers. It's like a screen that allows you to publish your proposal for a swap, which indicates the going rate that you, you are willing to swap your Bitcoin or Litecoin for Beam or vice versa. 
And if somebody accepts your swap, you initiate the swap on the conditions that were published. So we don't really rely on external oracles. But of course, uh, obviously, people will need to monitor the price to understand whether this specific swap is profitable or not. I see. And they wouldn't, they'd have to be monitoring this somewhere else, like basically on Yes, on we their are own. planning to add this feature into the wallet that will uh, show you the price, the actual price from the exchange directly. But it's still in the works and it will probably be released a little bit uh, later. Do you imagine, like, so now there's a lot of, at least there's attempts by some of the privacy tokens to get themselves into existing wallets or existing platforms. Do you think something like Beam, Mimblewimble in general, is that possible? Or is it like you have to have the bespoke, like specified technology? Yeah, so we have been talking with quite a lot of different wallets. And uh, one of the biggest challenges there is that the difference between the way how we're used to uh, do things in Bitcoin or uh, Litecoin or most other cryptocurrencies uh, due to the interactive nature of Mimblewimble. So in Mimblewimble, you have to uh, you have to involve both wallets in the process of creating a transaction. I see. You can't just know someone's address and send him the coins because addresses are not stored in the blockchain. Yeah, as I understood it, it's, it's interactive, meaning you're going to do like a send and receive. They don't have to be online at the same time, but they have to be like willing to accept this. Exactly. So yeah. using the SBBS system, you don't have to be online in exactly the same moment. But yes, you do have one round trip of mm-hmm. send and, you know, back to, to the sender in order to create a transaction, which makes it very difficult to integrate with existing wallets because almost all of them are using this uh, existing model of having an address, signing the transaction offline, and then just sending it to the chain. That said, we uh, have some uh, uh, interesting operations that uh, uh, might happen in the near future of wallets that do will to you know uh, do some extra work and extend their model uh, and integrate us into some existing wallet ecosystem. I think it will be great. We're very uh, excited about it and looking forward to such cooperations. But once again, yes, it's much more difficult than just adding another ERC-20 token or another coin that works in a similar fashion. I have a little bit of a question for like the user experience here. Like, would it be, say, down the line, or even maybe in the wallets that you've created, um, would it be like I send a token and then it just says pending for a while and it could be like pending for a day or a week? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. It shows pending. Uh, even with the, with that very wording, I think, or waiting for receiver, it say something like that. Uh, but there is a limit to how long it will keep it in, in that way. And right now, the limit is twelve hours. So if I send you, if you give me your address, which is like one, actually, an address in Beam is a one-time communication token, in essence. So your wallet creates this kind of a token. You send it to me. It's called the address, just to make the experience similar to all the other cryptocurrencies. And then my wallet starts to posts a message for your wallet Mm. and waits for your wallet to answer. So if your wallet is not online, uh, it would wait for 12 hours and then it would just just cancel the transaction. I see. So um, if the two wallets are online, the experience is like very, very seamless. Or if the second wallet comes online in after a certain period of time, which is not too much, then it's also kind of seamless. How fast could it be if both were online and like really staring at their less wallets? than a minute, I think. Okay. It's, it's pretty quick. It's pretty quick. So and, and then and then you know it's it's a, a two way communication, and then the 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 sender actually pushes the transaction mm-hmm. to a node, and then it's it gets into the block. Is there any is there any sort of like data field in Mimblewimble. Can you also send 
other things along the way? Uh, well, you can, right now we're not sending anything, but in principle, you could use this messaging system to send additional stuff. And we actually have plans to do that because uh, when we're talking about the future, like auditability features, we can include uh, collateral documents into the transaction. I might send you money, but then you can say, okay, uh, I might offer because what my wallet does when it sends something it says, okay, Anna, my wallet wants to send you a hundred beam and it can say, but I want an invoice from you or some sort of an ID or whatever. So, so you can extend this system, absolutely. And also, the remember we talked about the kernels. So a transaction might have multiple kernels and that the additional kernels might contain additional information that can be used in the future. For example, the uh, offer board for the atomic swaps, it's using the SBBS system as an extension. So we are already uh, using this infrastructure for more than just creating transactions. Cool. Could you ever, so one of the topics that's sort of become interesting to me is this mixture of total privacy, but with compliance, like actually like allowing for, I don't know, taxes to be paid automatically, legally, like, you know, or check, like you can check the science, you can check the technology to be sure that it was done correctly. However, no other information is revealed. And it maybe is only revealed to like one source. Is there any way for a system like that to be built in Mimblewimble or using Mimblewimble? Yes, that's that's exactly what we, what our vision is to build a system like this where uh, you are private, meaning that nobody else can see your transactions uh, or your history unless you let them. Okay, because the, you know the real privacy is. It also includes the ability to share information in, in a provable way, right? So, so that's eventually what we're building. And Mimblewimble is actually pretty, uh, kind of seems pretty good for that because it has this extensibility, but privacy is built in. So the vision is that all this additional information will be stored off-chain, mm. but with kind of links to the blockchain, itself, you know, through storing hashes of all this additional information in kernels or something like this. Again, we're still kind of debating on, on the exact implementation, but we have quite a lot of ideas. And and then you come to a system where, is, as a user, you are, on the one hand, fully confidential, which is not true for Ethereum, Bitcoin, mm. and a, a lot of most, most other currencies. But would be very useful for any sort of business cases and a lot exactly. of... But for a business case, uh, a business would not use something that is not reportable yeah. or not um, cannot pass AML controls, not auditable in certain ways. So, 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 so the trick here is to define the exact amount of information that, that can be revealed and to who without hurting the privacy. Got and it. we think we have a pretty good idea of... Uh, of how to do that. So we want a system where every user chooses their level of privacy, like in cash. I could be either fully confidential with my cash when I spend it, but the businesses that, for example, accept it, they need to issue some sort of paper and then need to report it. Got it. So we want to build something uh, that mimics that use case. Hmm. All right. So what's next for Beam then? What's the future of Beam? Other than really cool, like more cool names using Beam. <laughs> having Beam in it. So uh, I'll talk about the product side uh, and uh, Alex maybe will add some something about technology. Side. So product-wise, our near future includes uh, this Atomic Swaps marketplace. Uh, and we're also starting to work on something called confidential assets, 
where the, the idea is to bring additional kinds of assets of tokens for that matter from other blockchains, for example, from Ethereum, bring tokens to Beam. Uh, like not the tokens themselves, but you know, lock your DAI coins on Ethereum and mint a Beam DAI on Beam and trade in full confidentiality. Wow. So that's, uh, uh, that's the next big uh, uh, offering. And uh, further down the road, it will be uh, auditability. Uh, so these are the big like product milestones. It will take time. You know, some of that might take months. Uh, uh, so we're just starting. And then there is a technology roadmap. So yeah. I so we we have several uh, general directions of um, development that are currently actually in different phases. Um, so as Alexander mentioned, uh, confidential assets is an ability to create new tokens on Beam, and immediately they have all the privacy features of Beam built in. Uh, it's a very important feature, uh, which I think will be very useful for many different uh, applications. There is a lot of technological development involved in this, uh, building these uh, assets on top of Mimblewimble, building the bridges that allow to move them from different chains and to trade them in confidentially. There is a lot of product there as well. Lilantus as a possible and very interesting improvement on the confidentiality. We are also starting research into other very interesting technologies. There is a lot of development going on right now in, in SNARKs, uh, specifically trustless, uh, SNARKs without trusted setup, which would be a, a huge thing. There is a lot of work by different organizations and we are constantly monitor monitoring the situation there because uh, I think some of that might be relevant to us as well going mm -hmm. forward. And that was actually another one of my questions is like, will there be zero knowledge in this protocol? And it sounds like... Yeah, if so possible, yeah. <laughs> today we have a small piece of zero knowledge called bulletproofs, which we use to prove that the UTXO value is actually positive. Yeah. So we have some of that, but I, I think uh, Lilantos also makes use of zero knowledge proofs, uh, which are extended a little bit. But uh, I think uh, in the next couple of years, we will see a lot of developments in this field, judging by previous experience, this field just exploded with interest from both practitioners and uh, scientists. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fascinating, I think, so we're we monitoring that. Uh, and of course, uh, there is the usual technological roadmap adding features like Tor and I2P integration. And um, we have a lot of plans on improving the wallets even further. We have to uh, you know, make the system more robust uh, in the future, maybe extending these uh, atomic swap functionality to support more coins. So yeah, a, a lot of things are waiting for us in in the next year, I think. Very cool. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for sitting down with me to do this interview. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. It was a real pleasure. Great question. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I'm curious to hear where this goes in the future. So thank you again. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.